Morning, everybody. Boy, it's nice to see you. Uh, Elsie and I are so glad to be with you uh, this morning to see family that we don't see on the other side anymore who are here. And uh, it just, yeah, I just, you make me feel right at home right here. And it's uh, good to be a part of the, the West Side family uh, today. So thanks for your, your, your good welcome. We're continuing in this series called Restless, the things that keep us up at night. And I know. <clears throat> Jim Kane preached here last week, and we're going to talk about the things that keep you up from the standpoint of what happens when my failures outnumber my successes. You know, I, I, I think that most of us experience failure at the drop of a hat. It doesn't take much to make us feel like, well, like we've just failed in something. Uh, on the Thursday before Halloween, our preschool over on the other side, they, they come through the office area all dressed up in their costumes. Now, we had, uh, oh my goodness, just all kinds of beautiful costumes from ladybugs to human crayons, from lots of Captain Americas to a whole plethora of princesses. And so we were standing in the hallway out there handing out candy. I'm at the end of the hallway. I've got a basket of candy I'm handing out. there. One adorable little princess comes up. She smiles, holds out her hand. I give her candy. She wrinkles her nose, and she says, I don't like these. <laughs> and she said, but I'll keep it anyway. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. no." And I took it back, and I exchanged it for another piece of candy, and she smiled and went on her way. And I felt so much a failure at Halloween you know, it just, all it takes is a child saying, I don't like these, and you feel like a failure. Imagine, you know, have you noticed how likely we are when it is a failure or a success, which one we focus on? You can have 10 successes and one failure, and what is it that you focus on? You're consumed by the failure because that's sort of the way it is. It's human nature. We don't like failure. The very sound of the word reeks with the smell of defeat, and in our mind, being defeated is equivalent to being a loser. We fear failure, we run from failure, we do everything we can in our power to avoid failing. And when our failures appear to outnumber our successes, then it keeps us up at night and it keeps us restless. And we're convinced that other people who see us fail will look down on us. We're convinced that God, when he sees us fail, is displeased with us. But do other people really look down on us? Is God displeased with us? When, or is that a self-imposed guilt that we face? Well, I think it would be a good idea if we take a few moments and look at the whole concept of failure and see if we can get a clear understanding of what God's Word has to say about it. Maybe you'll see that what we feel is not really what we ought to feel. Now, here's the first thing I want you to know this morning, and that is that failure is universal. Failure is universal. There's a lot of failure in children's nursery books and fairy tales. Have you noticed that? Do you remember the story of the three little pigs? Do you realize that three out of the four characters in that story failed? Mr. Twiggs and Mr. Straw failed to build houses that were capable of protecting them, and the big bad wolf never did get lunch. Three out of the four main characters failed. He said, yes, but that's nursery rhymes. Yeah, that's true. In real life, everybody fails. It's not three out of four. It's 100%. Everybody fails. Have you ever thought how many famous people have failed in their life before achieving success? Walt Davis was totally paralyzed by polio when he was nine years old, 
And Walt Davis was determined he would not give up. He would learn to walk again. And I don't know how many times he failed and fell, but believe it or not, Walt Davis eventually became the high jump gold medalist in the Helsinki Olympics in 1952. And after that, he went on to play for the NBA for five years. Kid who was totally paralyzed by polio, never gave up. In the early 1900s, a young man by the name of Otto Rowetter <clears throat> sold his jewelry business because he had an idea and an invention that was going to transform the baking industry. He just knew it. He found an abandoned warehouse in his hometown. He started work. He built a prototype. He actually had hundreds of blueprints that he had written out of ideas of how to make this machine feasible. A year after all of that, after his first prototype, after all the blueprints, a fire came and destroyed the warehouse, destroyed everything. It would be 10 years before he would get another prototype built. So in January of 1927, he finished it up. Nobody would buy it. Finally, in July of that year, 1927, the first commercially baked loaf of bread was sliced on Otto's machine. And, well, the, kind of the rest is history. In 1930, an industry sprang up, a company sprang up around his machine. It was called Wonder Bread, all based on Otto's machine. I tell you, it was the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, no, that's the machine that started that expression. How about that? Anytime you use that expression today, you're going all the way back to Otto, who started as a major failure, became a great success. Woody couldn't read until he was 10 years old, but Woody believed very strongly in the fact that education was important and never gave up and worked and worked and worked to the point that he achieved a PhD. Oh, by the way, did I mention that Woody went on to be the 28th president of the United States? Woodrow Wilson couldn't read until he was 10 years old. And do you know that Woodrow Wilson to this day is the only president we've ever had that had an earned PhD? Never gave up, even though he failed. Here's, here's one of my all-time favorites. You'll recognize this story, I'm sure. At age 9, his mother died. At age 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. At 23, he went into debt and became a partner in a small grocery store. At 26, his partner died, leaving him a huge debt and he had decided to abandon the retail market at that point in time and study law. At the age of 35, he had been defeated twice when running for a seat in Congress. At the age of 37, he won the election for Congress. And then at 39, he lost his re-election bid for Congress. <clears throat> at 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for a Senate seat and lost. At 47, he was defeated as a nominee to be vice president. At 49, he ran for a Senate seat again and lost. And at the age of 51, he was elected president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Now, out of that list of failures, what do you suppose is the most significant failure, if there is one? Can I tell you what I think? I think it was when he failed as a grocery store owner. And the reason I believe that was because after he failed in the grocery business, he went on to study law, which set him up for all the rest of the things. Have you ever stopped to think what would have happened to our country if Abraham Lincoln had been a successful grocer? Today, we would not be shopping at Kroger's or Marsh. We'd be shopping at Lincoln's. But of course, that would only be in the United States. It would not be true in the Confederate States. 
Because if there had not been an Abraham Lincoln as a president, I don't know that we would be a united country today. You see, the failures in our lives can sometimes be the seedbed for great successes. Author J.K. Rowling wrote this, It is impossible to live without failing at something, unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you have failed by default. Isn't that true? Anybody that lives fails at something. You just can't give up. The Bible is an art gallery of failure. Picture after picture in the pages of sacred script show false starts and missed targets and unfulfilled expectations. As a matter of fact, the list of those without glaring flaws is far shorter than those with glaring failure. To be human is to experience failure. To look at the Bible is to see failure after failure after failure. Let me just give you a few, just so that you feel like you're in good company. Adam and Eve failed to avoid the only fruit in that garden paradise forbidden to them. Only one fruit, and they couldn't keep their hands off. It was like God put a sign on the tree that said wet paint. They just couldn't keep their hands off that tree. Cain failed to truly love his brother and in a fit of anger took the life of Abel. Abraham failed to tell the truth about his wife Sarah on more than one occasion. Lot failed to protect his family from the influence of evil and in the process lost his wife. Isaac and Rebekah failed as parents because they each had their favorite son and they let it be known which one was their favorite. Like his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, Jacob failed both to tell the truth and to treat his family with a sense of equality. Esau failed to serve God because he was too self-centered. Moses failed to keep his anger in check and was guilty of murder. Aaron failed commandment number two when he was swayed by the crowd and they gave up their gold and out of all of this came a golden calf idol to represent God in their worship. Samson failed to follow God's command to marry within the faith and broke God's vow of the Nazarite vow at every stage. King Saul failed to put God first in his reign as king and God took him away from the throne and the throne away from him and his descendants. King David failed to keep his vow of marital faithfulness and his adultery tore his household apart. King Solomon failed to give God the glory and the credit to use his God-given wisdom to follow God. And to this day, folks, we do not know if Solomon came back to the Lord before he died or if he didn't. Jonah failed to listen to God and it cost him a three-night stay in the whaler's inn. Peter failed to stay true to Jesus just when the Lord needed him most around that campfire when Peter said, I don't even know the man. Paul failed to understand God's plan for the ages and persecuted the church and consented to the deaths of Christians. Judas failed to recognize God in his midst and planted the kiss of death on the Lord of life. You can't read through the Bible without seeing failure over and over and over again. Now, if you've been wandering through the land of Nod, Get back with me here real quick, all right? Because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. Even Jesus experienced failure. I didn't say Jesus failed. I said he experienced failure, which was important for him to experience because if he was to go experience life as we know it to be our Savior, he had to experience what we experienced. And by the world standards, he was a major failure. Even Jesus said, I can't do some things because of the lack of faith. In Mark chapter 6, he's in his hometown area, and this is what Jesus had to say about that experience. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there. 
except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Because of the scenario, because of their lack of faith, even Jesus couldn't work there. From the world's standpoint, he didn't set up an earthly kingdom. He didn't bring peace on earth. One of his disciples betrayed him. He died on a cruel cross, rejected by the religious and the non-religious leaders alike. By the world's standards, his earthly time was an utter failure. But we know the rest of the story. We are on this side of the cross and the resurrection. We know that what the world saw as failures was really God's plan to bring him to this pinnacle of the greatest success. It was what the world perceived as failure that set him apart as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So, even though everybody is a failure, everybody fails somehow, some way in life, we're all in good company. Just know this, what you see as a failure may not be so. Which brings us to this other point, and that is simply this. Failure is not final. Okay? If you've been struggling with failure in your life, or you're just feeling like you have dropped the ball, note this. Failure is not final. A Chinese man named Li Fu Yan had tried every possible treatment to find relief for the excruciating headaches that he had been experiencing. Now, four years prior to this discovery, he had been attacked by a robber who had slashed up his jaw so badly that when they took him to the emergency room, got him all stitched up, they didn't really look for any other wounds. And for the last four years, he'd been suffering with these massive heart attacks. When they finally took an x-ray of his skull, they found a four-inch rusted knife blade embedded in his skull. It had broken off in this attack. Nobody thought to look anywhere else. The x-ray revealed the source of his pain, and it was removed. But you can't live with a foreign object in your brain and be comfortable with it. We can't live with foreign objects in our brain, and we can't live with foreign objects in our souls. Regret, remorse, guilt, shame of failure create nothing but pain. So when you fail as a spouse or a parent or an employee or a boss or a friend, do not lose heart and give up. When you fail as a Christian to pay attention to God's Word, when you fail to live out the great commandment and the great commission to love God and to love others, or when you resist sin's temptation and you fail, don't give up and lose heart. Physical, intellectual, and even spiritual failure does not have to be fatal, and it is not final. So you say, okay, well, when it happens, how do I handle my failures? Glad you asked. Let's take a look at the Apostle Paul. If, any, if anybody in the Bible had the right to wallow in his past and feel sorry for himself and to say, there's nothing I can do for God be given the failure I've experienced, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But you don't see any of that in Paul's life. He never let his setbacks keep him from moving forward. After all, he had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. He had helped kill Christians. But Paul was able to overcome that when he was blinded by the light of the world and pulled to Jesus Christ. And here's how Paul handled it. I'm going, okay, this is how you handle it because this is how Paul handled it. This is what the Word of God tells us. First thing, forget your failures. When you fail, forget your failures. Now, Paul never forgot his past. He learned from his past, but he didn't dwell on his 
failures. Do you remember what he wrote to the Christians at Philippi? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, this is what we read. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what is back in my past, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? I'm, I'm forgetting what's behind, and I'm straining toward the future. Now, that's part of the way we begin to deal with our spiritual failures. We forget the past. Again, there's a difference in learning from the past and living in the past. Regret blinds you from making the most of life now. Learning from your past releases you to experience life like you've never experienced it before. Note this. Paul always mastered his failures. He never allowed his failures to master him. If you give up after a failure, you may never succeed in life. Now, I've mentioned in the past that uh, Michael Jordan did not make the high school basketball team in his sophomore year because the coach didn't think he was good enough. Wouldn't you hate to be that, that coach? But have you ever heard Michael Jordan's take on failure? This, this is his own quote. He says, I've missed 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I have missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. You, you get the point? Failure is not final, and it's not fatal if you use that as a tool to learn. And then forget them. Put them in the past. Paul didn't focus on what he had failed to do for God. He focused on what he could accomplish for God if God worked through his life. Now, I don't know what's happened in your past. I don't know where you have failed. But if you don't put that failure behind you and say, okay, God, that's the past. Use me now. You'll never move out of the past. You are only able to go in one direction at a time. You can either move forward or you can move backward, but you can't go in both directions at the same time. So if you want to live in the past, you go right ahead and live in the past, but you'll be miserable and so will everybody else around you, and God won't be able to use you. But if you say, I'm putting the past in the past, I'm going to learn the lessons of my failures, but my failures are there, I'm moving on, then God can use you because when he uses us, it makes all the difference. He's the power. We're just the vessel. So here's the second thing. Forget your hardships. Forget your failures. Forget your hardships. Now, Paul seldom spoke of his hardships. He didn't, he didn't make a big deal about that. But once in the book of 2 Corinthians, he details all the things that he'd experienced because he wanted to validate in the minds of the people his role as an apostle. Now, listen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what he says. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." Paul knew hardship. 
Uh, on on, uh, on the uh, east side, we have C.Y. Kim who is preaching. He's a missionary that we've been supporting uh, at Sherwood Oaks for years and years and years. I've known him since I was a teenager. He's, uh, he's considerably older than I am and still going at it as hard as he can. They have a ministry in South Korea, which is where it started, but they've gone into North Korea. They've gone into China. They've gone into Cambodia. They've gone into the Philippines. He spent two years and six months in prison for the preaching of the gospel. I've never, I've never been in prison. Hardships teach us a lot that we can't learn any other way, but you don't dwell on the hardships. Failures, hardships, and unexplained injustice in life are all too often stumbling blocks for us because we say, wait a minute, God, I've been serving you with all of my heart and you're letting this happen to me? Well, if that's the way you're going to be, God, then I'm just going to give up. I'm just not going to serve you any longer. Life is not always going to be fair. Things will not go right just because you are a Christian. We will experience the same brokenness that everybody else experiences in a broken world. So learn from your hardships like you learn from your failures, but put them in the past as well. Because if you dwell on your hardships, you will become bitter. And if you live a life of bitterness, it'll eat you up from the inside out, and you'll be worthless to anybody. Now, here's the third thing to forget. Forget your accomplishments. Yeah, they're as dangerous to hang on to as your failures. Bill Gates wrote, it's fine to celebrate success, but it is more important to heed the lessons of failure. Believe it or not, resting on our own past accomplishments can be just as detrimental. When we sit back and we think, hey, I've done my part. I've, I've done my job. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I've got all these glorious things from the past. We've got a problem. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12? <clears throat> this is how it goes. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place for my crops. Success, great success here, right? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and, be, <clears throat> and there I will store all my grains and my goods and I'm going to say to myself, you have arrived. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, <clears throat> you fool. The Bible doesn't use the word fool lightly. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all these things you've prepared for yourself? Get the point? When you rest on your success, you say, hey, I, I, I've achieved it all. I'm just going to sit back and take life easy. That's when God calls us a fool. Because the other thing about success is it prepares the way for greater success if you put it in your past as well. So here's the bottom line. Don't live in the past. Don't think you can get by on past accomplishments. Don't weep over past failures and hardships. Don't conclude that you've done enough for God. It's time to let somebody else step in and do it. As long as you draw breath, you can serve God. And as long as you keep moving forward, the failures will never get you down. With the Lord, you see, every day is a new adventure. It's never a repeat of the old one. Every day is a new adventure. And Paul summed it up this way. <clears throat> and I like the way the, the William Barclay translation reads. We are sore pressed at every point, but not hemmed in. We are at our wit's end, but never at our hope's end. We are persecuted by men, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but not knocked out. Sum it up this way. Learn from the past. 
but live in the future. Keep moving forward because God doesn't dwell in the past. God is in the present, and he's already in tomorrow ahead of us. So don't go back there. Just keep moving forward. And who knows? What you think of as your greatest failure may be, instead, your greatest success. Do you remember Charles Coulson of Watergate fame? Charles Coulson, a few years ago, wrote this about his life. He said, the great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and I see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life is to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and I went to prison. That was my great defeat, the only thing in my life I didn't succeed in. Where was his greatest failure became his greatest success. So when you feel like life doesn't unfold like you hoped or expected or you feel like the greatest failure ever, just watch God work. What you think is a failure may be the beginning of your greatest success. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. God's at work. Now, early on in the sermon, I mentioned that uh, three out of the four characters of the three little pigs uh, had failed. But, but would you classify the story at the end as a success or a failure? You, you, do you remember the story of the three little pigs? This is not hard, all right? This, this is not a major test here, all right? You do remember the story, right? Okay. Was it a success or a failure? It was a success. Of course it was. There was joy and rejoicing at the end of the story because the one lone character that succeeded destroyed the power of evil and rescued those who were his own. We love the story because of the ending. Now, the world looked at the death of Jesus as his greatest failure. They even said at the foot of the cross, he saved others. Let him save himself. Little did they know that what they mistook as failure became the greatest success ever. At his death and resurrection, you see, Jesus destroyed the power of evil and rescued those who were his own. Why do we like the story of the three little pigs? Because it's the same theme as God's story through the ages, that there would be one who would come to the surface who would defeat evil once and for all and who would bring salvation to all of us. Here's the bottom line in what Jesus has done for us. There is only one failure you can't overcome. There is one failure you're not going to be able to overcome, and it's to fail to prepare for eternity. And if you fail to do that, that is one failure that's fatal and final. But Jesus has made possible life everlasting. He defeated evil and has rescued us. Do you know him as your Savior? 
We're going to sing an invitation hymn. I don't know what your condition is this morning, whether you've ever embraced Jesus Christ as Savior or not. You can do that this morning while we're down here. You can, you can come down here. You can go back to the prayer room if you want to talk to somebody back there and get some more information, get your questions answered. Here's what I want you to do. Your greatest failure will be walking out that door this morning without Jesus as your Savior if you know he's the one you need more than life itself. While we stand and sing, you come to the Christ. I have a maker He formed my heart Before even time began My life was in His hand He knows my name my every thought he sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call sing that chorus again he knows my name he knows my every thought he sees each tear and hears me when I call.